Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and The Pendulum, the horror movie podcast dedicated to covering every single horror movie franchise, one movie and one entry at a time. What does that mean? That means sometimes we get to cover the classics like A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, John Carpenter's Halloween, Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper's Poltergeist. Sometimes that also means we have to cover Gil Keenan's Poltergeist. So it's a little bit of feast or famine with very little in between. And that is what we're here to talk about today. Uh, we are going to talk about the 2015 remake of Poltergeist. And everyone, raise your hands if you're excited to uh, talk about that. Mm. There are no hands raised right Crickets. So on that <laughs> note, how is everybody? How was everyone's Valentine's Day? Let's start with that. Uh, uh, Valentine's Day was pretty great, actually. Yeah, uh, changing it up, Jerry. Not how great are you yeah. doing, but you know how was. I, I enjoyed my Valentine's Day. It yeah. was pretty cool. Had a nice dinner. Uh, my my wife and I had a teppanyaki, which I love, love, I have love. No idea what that uh, is. Uh, the, the what? No idea you know what, what that is. is? Oh, it's it's kind of like a uh uh japanese experience uh you go there and there's like they basically cook the food on your table and do like tricks and shit ah okay oh it's the coolest coolest thing ever uh so we did that and uh unfortunately the the only problem with that is uh quite literally every single time that you go there's always like really one there's like one really grumpy like senior citizen white man (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it's like he forgot that he went to get Japanese food, you know. So he's like asking all these like American things. Like like I'd be surprised if he didn't ask for like ketchup or some shit, mm-hmm. you know. Like it's just, so like this poor, this poor dude's like busting his ass, doing tricks, catching like volcanoes made of onions on fireballs and all this crazy stuff while making our food. And this like old <laughs> old white guy's just staring at him like. <laughs> And you hurry, like you could tell the fire was kind of a little too warm for this guy, and it was like <laughs> just uncomfortable all around. <laughs> and he was he was wearing like a, he was wearing like a veteran's hat, so I, I made like this really bad joke to my wife. And guys, please don't cancel me over it. But like I was just like <laughs> with the fireballs, I was like, do you think this guy's gonna have flashbacks? Like, oh, is he it's okay? Is he okay for this? Like, I'm concerned, you know. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, after that we uh, we had laser tag, and uh, if I've learned anything, it's do not have a huge mill and then play laser tag mm-hmm. because like I was ready to barf. But uh, yeah, Valentine's Day, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Excellent. So my wife was sick on Valentine's Day. I ended up Aww. like I came home and she wasn't feeling all that great, so she went to bed early. And my daughter and I listened to like early 90s melodic punk like Jawbreaker and the Bouncing Souls and Saves a Day and Screeching Weasel while having like a best of seven Uno tournament. Um, and then um, and then like watching a couple episodes of Star Wars Rebels together on the sofa. So it was actually a really nice Valentine's Day all together. White guys doing that. What's that? <laughs> I said, yeah, you don't have to deal with cranky white guys. So it's just no, <laughs> just myself. Just you know, I do have to ask though, like which era of Saves the Day? That's like one of my favorite oh, bands. Early, early Saves the Day, like yes. Bruce being cool, so um, good. Every, yes. The first, oh. yeah, can't slow down. Oh, can't slow down the first album. Yeah. So yeah, can't slow down and through being cool, and then the acoustic, uh, I uh, the acoustic. Oh TV yeah, where they do uh, melt with you. Yeah. Like, 
the, that's pretty much the only saves a day I listen to was if they're opening for third eye blind now. Um, that, uh, I mean, I'm, this is weird. Yeah. How little we want to talk about poltergeist. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Moment in saves the day's career. Or what, like I, uh, like uh, Chris, the singer, he kind of did this weird thing where he changed like his vocal uh, mm-hmm. approach completely. You know what well, I mean? He hit like puberty, I think. I mean, he hit oh, puberty. Like, there's, a, there's an album by them called In Reverie. And I remember mm-hmm. I bought it the day it came out. Yeah, New Saves a Day. And it sounded like a Beatles record, which, yeah. I mean, it's fine. But it's like, that is not even yeah. the same band I knew. I remember, like, my friend and I used to go and watch Hot Water Music play. Oh, like, yeah. every every show when they hit the East Coast. Like, we would start in, like, Cleveland and go to seven shows. And so it was Hot Water Music touring with Small Brown Bike and Saves a Day. And Small Brown Bike is another, like, of my top five. So, yeah. like, that was it. And I remember we were in, like, Saves a Day's hometown. And I'm wearing this, like, Lucha Libra wrestling mask, mercilessly heckling Saves a Day. Like, I brought a sign that was, like, Jersey's second best dancers, which, if you know the band Lifetime, like, their band was Jersey's best dancers. And the singer was, like, trying to do this, like, witty stage banter. Like, he had played one song and... um he was like, you know, oh, you know, I don't really feel good. I've just had a bunch of cold syrup. I don't even know how long we've played for. And I just started yelling, you only have two songs left. And everybody just stopped and looked at me. And I'm like this, like, crazy dude in, like, this mask with horns on it. And this <laughs> And then later he was like, um, you know, I'll ask a trivia question. And if you, like, get it right, I'll make you pancakes tomorrow morning. And I yelled out the answer. And he just looked. He's like, ah, oh, shit. So, yeah, it's like the most uncomfortable show. Um, but, yeah, the good old days. How about everybody else? Veronica, Brian, how are we doing today? Good. Our Valentine's Day was actually really good, too. My, um, my husband can never pull off a surprise. And mm. it's because I'm... Um, the worst like I'm a librarian right so like I look up everything if he gives me even the smallest hint I can usually find what he's doing Mm -hmm. whether it's a gift or an experience and he pulled it off I was guessing restaurants left and right and Mm -hmm. he had booked us a place that I had never heard of I didn't know Mm -hmm. it existed and it was actually good and like it was just I was floored. He did a great job. And then we came home and played board games. Like, it was, it was a really fun, cute night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had um, Valentine's Day off from school. We're kind of on a midwinter break. Mm-hmm. Uh, long, just a four-day weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife had to work. So I watched a bunch of movies. And, um, you know, I, I don't mean to embarrass you, but um, Jerry did something really nice for me. Um, John Squires was doing sort of this uh, retweet-a-thon thing, and mm-hmm. Jerry asked that uh, he retweet uh, one of my pieces, and I thought that was oh, really cool. And nice. so you're, you're, you're a good guy, Jerry. I just want to say <laughs> thank you. Very cool. The kind of story behind that. Uh, uh, go ahead. Heather, Heather Wixon, who, I mean, is obviously like a legend in the horror journalism field, uh, it has been going through some pretty difficult stuff regarding her animals, and it's kind of set you know set people back because you know medical bills and stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, what John Squires was trying to do is get anyone to do the the coffee thing, where you just kind of like pitch in a couple bucks for a coffee thing, you know, 
to, for all of us to kind of to, to help with the the vet bills or whatever you know they may need and uh he did this thing where like you know if you contribute let me know and you know i'll repost something from you on bloody disgusting to uh, twitter or whatever you know and i contributed i i don't didn't need anything retweeted and honestly like i'm not trying to turn this into like a mushy thing but like brian's really kicked ass you know like honestly like when when you come across someone who is so passionate about writing and stuff i mean you kind of want to do anything you can to help them with that you know and brian deserves it and his work is exceptional listeners if if you get a chance read what brian writes uh i'm a fan you guys will be too so i mean that that's the only reason i did that Mm -hmm. Uh, thanks guys. I, I yeah, <laughs> I, 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 it, it, it truly, it truly made me emotional, um, because, uh, it was, and sorry guys to get, mm-hmm. to get kind of mushy again, but you know, um, uh, Jerry's the whole reason I even had the guts to, to try this. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, he, uh, he believed in, I, he said one, I, I, I said, I, I, just really want to do this. Um, but I don't know how to do it. And, uh, he just kind of said, Hey, write me something. And so I wrote him something and he, uh, he kind of helped open a couple doors for me and just made some introductions and, and it just sort of snowballed from there and it's been mm-hmm. awesome. And, uh, so I, I'm, I'm really thankful. And, um, anyway, so when, uh, yeah, anyway, go ahead. Uh, you Very said cool. that, you know, it made you emotional. Well, you know what makes me emotional is pol- poltergeists. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about poltergeist. Uh, what a yeah, great segue. Good job, guys. So, <laughs> yeah, let's, so let's talk about the 2015 remake of Poltergeist, helmed by Gil, uh, Gil Keenan, I believe, correct? Yes, yes, uh, yes. The director of Monster House. Which is, which is shocking. A, yeah, because Monster House is, I think, one of the best original animated ho- horror light movies. It has a lot of heart. It has a lot of imagination. And it has a lot of spirit to it. Mm-hmm. And then to have this, which is devoid of all three of those things, is just kind of shocking. Well, I mean, honestly... Uh... After doing a lot of research and stuff, uh, sorry, mm-hmm. after doing some research stuff, I could kind of see why, to be honest. And yeah, I'm a huge fan of Monster House. I mean, I love that movie so much. Mm-hmm. But like, if you if you look at everyone else that was involved, and I'm not putting the blame on a single one of them. And to be honest, like, th- out of every movie we've covered, this is probably one of the five bottom barrel for me. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, I am in no way going to get like super negative on this because I think it's very interesting. Uh, the whole production of this movie and everything else. And I, I'm excited to talk about it. The movie was written by David Lindsay, a bear who wrote robots, ink heart, and eventually wrote like rise of the guardians. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that, that's who wrote the poltergeist remake. It was produced by Roy Lee, who is a, a huge producer, but I'll just read you a few, a few movies that Roy Lee's produced a remake of the ring. A remake of, of The Grudge, mm. a remake of Dark Water. When you say a Infer- remake, do you mean the Americanized version of the American versions? Mm-hmm. Uh, he directed The Eye, Shut mm-hmm. or produced, produced The Eye, mm-hmm. Shutter, Quarantine. You know, like like it's it's almost like a factory of remakes. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I feel so while some of those are great. I mean, yeah. he produced like It. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of really good ones. Blair Witch was fun. 
but with that being said, I, I feel like what happens a lot these days is you'll get these kind of indie or smaller directors that made really good movies, you know, the first mm-hmm. movie or two picked up by these bigger studios to helm these remakes and they never stand a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a good, a good example of that is, uh, the recent uh, Grudge remake. I was thinking yeah. that, just as you said yeah. that, I was thinking that. It was yep. also produced by Sam Raimi's Ghost House. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think what happens is you get these kind of either like auteurs or really talented up-and-coming directors and give them this big shot, but you don't give them uh, what they need as far as freedom. And I, I, I think when it comes to like remakes, especially with this one, they wanted to do their own thing you know, and be kind of free from the freelings, you know, in that story. So they, you know, different family, different name, kind of different situation. And if they would have approached the movie 100% like that, yes. did their own thing with it, it would have succeeded. But what it, what they do is this whole movie constantly dips its toes in both aspects. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be, it doesn't want to be a remake of the original, but it really apes so much of the original to where yeah. like it's clashing. It doesn't know what it wants to be. It's really a beat for beat remake of the original movie right down to like the everything they use is pretty much ape is just mirrors the first movie. And it just Mm -hmm. it fails by comparison, except it has a sheen of modern day cynicism on it, which I think that, you know, that first movie does not have. And it's so bizarre. It's like they didn't even understand the themes of the first movie where especially being filmed in what 2015, I forgot when it's 2015. Yeah. If it's just if you're just looking at the technology aspect alone, there's so much to play with and they sort of tried but failed. Mhm. Uh, Mike's right. It, it is in a lot of ways like beat for beat remake, and I, I feel like there's that. And but all they do is try to like change the names and slightly tweak mm-hmm. the situation. Yeah, I think where remakes kind of go off and uh, do their own thing while also being respected, uh, respective of the stuff before it. I mean, uh, the Evil Dead remake was like yes. that for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. Movie. It felt like the first Evil Dead, but amped up to like today's sensibility. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This movie, it doesn't even pay respect to uh, what the first and second film meant. You know, they 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 think that if you take certain scenes out of like from a movie and redo them, it's going to capture that magic, and that is what that is what ult- is ultimately missing from this movie is is just kind of like that sense of wonder and the magic and the family dynamic that we loved in the first two films, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's just, you never care for a single character in this whole movie. No. Right. right. It, just even the opening, just with them in the car yelling at each other, a little kid calling her brother or sister, a dumbass. Like it's just so mm-hmm. off putting. I wanted to turn it off then, but it was 30 seconds in and I just, I'm <laughs> so sorry guys. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think that's there's one interesting thing from it. I think the interesting thing about this movie is when you look at the fortune of the Bowen family in 2015 versus the fortunes of the Freeling family in the original Poltergeist in 1982. You know, they in 1982, what Reagan would call with America, you know, the shining city on the hill, basically, and 
whether or not you agreed with Ronald Reagan, who at that point was a tremendously popular president and who would go on to win in 1984 in a, a landslide victory overall, like people felt good about being American. People felt good about their fortunes. People felt good about themselves. So you have in this family, the Freelings, a pretty well-to-do family overall. Um, and what Hooper and Spielberg do is they kind of poke holes at that kind of like real capitalist um, vision that you found in the original Poltergeist movie. Here you have a Bowen family that is like down and out. Um, and you have them like really downsizing from where they were. You don't really see their circumstances prior to the movie, but you know that, you know, the father, Eric, has been laid off from his job at John Deere. You know that they have to, like, move from their previous home to this new one and that they're not happy about it. And even though it's a pretty gorgeous home. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. looking at, and that to me is interesting, is you have what's supposed to be this kind of, like, down in their luck, poor family, like where neither parent is working at that moment. How did they and get a like, home loan? Like, I know. Well, I, I guess you could maybe say they got equity from the home they had to sell. Um, um, and then you could use that. And then you have lower payments, maybe. I don't know. And I, you know, don't, I know. don't know. I, I It's movie magic, basically. Mm -hmm. The finance of financing through movie magic. The most but, magical part of this movie right. was the home loan. But, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you know, they were poking fun at the they were poking fun at the boy Griffin's bedroom. And I'm like, this is bigger than my master bedroom yeah, at home. Like, right. You know, like this kid had nothing but like ample space to maneuver around in there. Yeah. Like no maneuvering around laundry <laughs> baskets and pet homes and whatnot. Um, but it's interesting. I thought like where the family sees their circumstances in this 2015 movie is where a lot of Americans saw themselves in 2015. Like, down on their luck, things are not as good as they used to be. We're definitely in decline. And I found that was really interesting when compared to 1982's movie. Just unfortunately, nothing is really done with that. Like, the one moment that really explores that is when you have, like, a the father with a maxed-out credit card. He has that one card left that works, so he's like, fuck it, I'm going on a spending spree at this point and buys a bunch of crap that nobody needs. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think that, like, you know, what, what you were talking about, uh, you know, as, as far as the family and them kind of, like, poking at the sun, mm -hmm. I think that that speaks volumes on this movie. Whereas in the original one, I mean, the Freelings, you felt so close to them. They felt yeah. so relatable. You know, you you liked that family. They had mm -hmm. such a good dynamic and it pulled you in. This movie, the family, are they're kind of fucking dicks, man. They're yep. jerks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, pardon my French, but like, like, they're kind of like, it's hard to like these people. Right. And yeah, I think that translates to every character in this mm -hmm. film. How could you not like Jared Harris? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh. Yeah. I mean, like that's our new Tangina in this movie, and mm -hmm. it's just, it it just crashes. He comes across like a like a used car salesman or something. It's just yes. really it's really slimy and oily and gross, and it, it just it does mm -hmm. not it, it doesn't do service to mm -hmm. uh, sort of the spirit of the character that uh, Tangina is in the, mm -hmm. in the in the original trilogy at all. Right. It's interesting because I mean even. Uh, from production standpoint, I mean, this movie was made by people who know what they're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Gil, Gil Keenan with Monster House. I mean, Sam Raimi 
excuse me, Sam Raimi producing it. Bob Murawski edited it. Like he, I mean, Bob Murawski started Grindhouse releasing, you know what I mean? Like he, like it's because of him that like Cannibal Ferox is out again, Mm -hmm. you know, he he also edited like most of Raimi's films, you know, like these are like talented people. It's just for some reason, like, I don't, I mean, I don't understand how any of these people were like, you know what, let's make this remake. Let's do it like this. But let's completely just trim out everything that made the original great. Because mm-hmm. you, you like to me, it feels like these people would know what the magic of the first one is because they're mm-hmm. kind of fans. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, every Murawski, they're they're fans of horror. So like, how right. did they not know that like this cold, cynical movie, a remake of a movie that's beloved about family and what it is to be family. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I don't get it. Yeah. The warmth and the depth of the Spielberg movie with the family, like you had, even though you had like the young boy, uh, you know, Robbie, who's scared of, you know, the the thunderstorm, he's scared of the clown in his room, but Mm -hmm. he's still a three-dimensional character. You have the older sister who's kind of like, you know, trying to feel feel her way around a little bit and, you know, kind of become a little bit more independent from the family. She still shows like a lot of love and a lot of, you know, joking, teasing towards her brother and sister overall. Here, everyone is basically reduced to like a one-note stereotype. You have mm-hmm. Saxon Sherbino, who's like bitchy teenager who just likes to stay on her phone. Um, Kyle Catlett is Griffin. His only character trait is that he's scared of everything. And from the <laughs> moment he's first on the screen, every moment he's on the screen, I just like have, you know, there's a line in George Orwell's 1984. Like if you want to picture humanity, picture a boot smashing on someone's face over and over again. <laughs> and that's how I felt about boy Griffin. Like, Every moment is on screen, he looks like he's just smelling this like stinky egg fart the whole time. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, I fucking hate you and want you to go away. Um, Particular. Yeah, I really just dislike this character, like it, it, to an irrational degree, did not like this character. <laughs> like, I'm sure the young boy who played him, like he was told, like, this is what how we want you to play it. You know, God, I have nothing against little Kyle, who probably is 20s now and could <laughs> whip my ass. But, um, but, oh, my God, it's just such an annoying character. You know, the mother's character, you know, Rosemary DeWitt is basically reduced to a woman uh. who's she's given birth to three children. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's really, you know, that, that's it. Like, that's her character. Like, mom, that's all. Which is a bummer because, I mean, uh, as an actor, uh, she's great. I mean, I yeah. like her. I liked her arc on Mad Men a lot, you know, and even like even like a throwaway movie like, oh, God, what was that awful Ben Stiller movie she was in? Uh, uh, was it the zero dart at a board. The, I think it's The Watch. I think it was okay. The Watch. She mm-hmm. played his wow. wife. Like even like a throwaway movie like that, like her character in that had more of an arc than Poltergeist, which yeah. is a movie that's supposed to be about family. And even like the character of Madison, who is our new Carol Ann, like it just bombs you know like and Mm -hmm. what's what's what made that their here line so iconic in the first film is it wasn't a gimmick yet you know it was it was a crazy part you're watching this movie for the first time poltergeist and then she delivers that line and it's creepy as hell because Mm -hmm. it hadn't become hadn't become this pop culture thing now in this movie when it happens it's so just bland and expected 
that it, mm-hmm. it almost feels it almost feels like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake where uh, they have that you know Freddy's face coming out of the wall sequence. Oh, right. Original Nightmare on Elm Street that costs like fifteen dollars and some spandex to make. Yeah. You know, and in the remake, it's crazy CG and it just it just feels yeah. like shit. Mm-hmm. And like that's what this part. That's what the they're here part in this film reminded me of. It's just like. I was kind of expecting that. And now that it's here, man, that was bad. You know, yeah. like, like, and it was, the, uh, yeah, go, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say that every little sequence in, in this film that kind of mirrors the original is, is approached in that manner of, Oh, here's something people love in the original. Let's Damn throw it. it in. But they don't realize why that was in the original. There's no context. There's no emotion behind it. You know, it's just thrown on there. To kind of like, I, I don't know how to properly phrase it. To kind of like jerk off the audience that loved the first film. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh-huh. it's yeah. So, so that is my positive take. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's crazy because what that scene is, it was prefaced with "they're coming," not "they're here yet." So, um, little Ka- mm, Madison says they're coming. <laughs> And then I was like, okay, well, that's a little fresh. And then 10 seconds later, she's like, they're here. I'm like, oh, well, way to warn us, Madison. Mm-hmm. It was so half-hearted. So, she would have been the worst Paul Revere. <laughs> <laughs> so, like the British, said, the British would have already ransacked Boston. But it's all, oh, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Jared Harris would have been on the back of his horse. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yikes. What was the line that she said before the they're here one? She said they're coming. So Which she's is like, weird because viewers of this movie never do because it's a constant. Never. No, oh. it's just jerking off with no lube. It's so sad. Here's a question for you because I think that one thing about this. <laughs> this movie is a dry hand job. It <laughs> reminds me I need to actually purchase some more lubricant because we yeah. are loved. Make a note. Thank you. So I can add that to the shopping list for this week. Um, so speaking of lubricant, um, mm-hmm. the thing about this movie is it does basically hit a bunch of check boxes like, okay, television comes on hands up against it, you know, catchphrase <sighs> there, um, paranormal investigators here, like everything mirrors the first, oh, creepy clown doll is here. Um, yeah, creepy, no, creepy tree is here. Like you hit all of those those beats overall. So here's my question. There is a 33 year gap between poltergeist and poltergeist, the remake overall, this is a PG 13 movie. Um, yes, this movie spawned two sequels, but neither of those sequels were massive. Like it's not like your Friday, the 13th or nightmare on Elm street series, which number one had a new entry that came out every year. It seemed like for close Mm -hmm. to a decade. And number two, the sequels like built upon the previous ones, meaning like they usually made more money than what came before it. And you Mm -hmm. have like these iconic characters overall. Like if you show a kid, Jason Voorhees, he might've never seen a Friday, the 13th movie, but he knows who Jason is. How Mm -hmm. many, seeing that this movie is kind of aimed for that teenage audience, like what percentage of people do you think saw this movie actually saw the first movie? Because there's not a great 
Blu-ray release of Poltergeist. It's a pretty bare bones one. It's not a movie that streams on Netflix or Amazon Prime, and it's not something that's really in heavy rotation on like things like Fear Fear Fest or anything like that. I mean, I think ostensibly you could be like a teenage kid walking into this movie because you like Insidious and The Conjuring, mm-hmm. but have no idea like that this is a remake. Am I out of my mind when I say that? No, I think that's fair. And I think maybe that teenage kid would like this movie more than more than we mm-hmm. do. I mean, although if they've seen Insidious and The Conjuring, no, they, they do not. Mm-hmm. But but you're right. I mean, that's a fair take. I well, honestly, I, I think that Poltergeist is is such a uh, just event filled uh not even filled, but like a movie that everyone knows, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, even if you hadn't, haven't seen it, you know, everyone knows the, you know, they're here fine. They know it's from Poltergeist. I like, even my kids know what Poltergeist is like, but they knew it before I even showed them, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just part of, it's part of like this big thing that if you like horror, even on, a, even on a casual sense, you know, even if you're not a fanatic, everyone knows what it is, you know, like I, I when this movie came out, like, I remember even people that weren't big core fans, you know, I, I remember hearing them talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I do think that it's, it's widely known, but at the, like also, uh, and I'm not trying to jump ahead to like, you know, box office and stuff, but I do think it's important about what we're talking about as far as capturing, you know, the original kind of stuff and how this one fails. You take, okay. It has been all these years since the original, when they made this movie, and all these people, like I said, have great experience in horror. No, they knew what made the original work, and they kind of failed at this one. With that being said, like this movie costs, I think, thirty-five million dollars to make. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It didn't wow. make much. You take a film like Insidious that came out five years before, mm-hmm. captured everything, mm-hmm. every single thing that made Poltergeist work. Insidious captured that. And they didn't need a huge budget. Insidious cost $1.5 million to make. Mm-hmm. And it made, it made just under a hundred. Because that is what that's that is what this movie should have been. You know, like mm-hmm. what Insidious was able to capture is that kind of family dynamic and urgency in trying to protect each other. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what the the filmmakers behind this poltergeist didn't realize. That more than the gimmicks, more than the, you know, beat for beat shit that we already know, more than the name Poltergeist, that is what should have led the story of family. And, you know, yeah, in 2015, nobody really gave a shit about that because even it's even worse now in 2020. I mean, nobody nobody cares about each other, you know, like mm-hmm. emotions gone. But that being said, film. And the cinema, that's where we go for this stuff, you know? And to take a film that is so beloved and so just perfect at capturing what family is, like, I hate to use the word just, like, cash grab, you know? Because I do feel like everyone that makes a movie tries to make a good one. That being said, this is one of the few films that I will openly say is a fucking cash grab. Because nothing, nothing is carried over as far as emotion. Well, I think Mm -hmm. when you bring up the insidious comparison i think that's an apt comparison i think it's safe to say that the poltergeist the poltergeist remake exists solely because insidious did so well yeah right i mean because you can even see you can uh, watching this i thought wow they're kind of ripping off elements of insidious in this 
you know, <laughs> it, it was clear to me uh, when they kind of go to the other side that, um, okay, that looks a lot like things in Insidious. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so th- I think you're absolutely spot on the money there. But go ahead. No, I mean, I think that's it to a T. I think Jerry's right on. And I think it's, you know, I've joked before, like, we're going to cover Insidious, a.k.a. the Poltergeist remake, you know, at some point down the road. Because that's really as good, I think, as good of a remake as you're going to get. Like, to Jerry's mm-hmm. point, when he talked about the Evil Dead remake, how it, you know, pays homage to the original movie, but it also does its own thing and does it very well. Um, I think Insidious, like, looks at a movie like Poltergeist and it says, like, hey, these are the things that we appreciate about the movie. And even as far as like I mentioned last week with Poltergeist three, you can look at a movie like insidious. You can look at a show like stranger things and see where it borrowed ideas from like Poltergeist three in terms of how it depicts that mirror image of this world um, and how it applies it to their own original material at that point. Um, Here, I don't, you know, Jerry, you had mentioned like it, this is, I think you're spot on it's as pure as a cash grab as you can get because so much of it just mirrors that first movie beat for beat for beat for beat, except like you said, it strips the heart and the soul of that movie out and it replaces it with this kind of cynicism um, that I think exists, existed to such a degree in 2015 and still exists to this day. Totally. And I, you know, and even though I said cash grab, I almost don't even mean that as an insult to, towards the filmmakers. Because who, what studio or executive or producer didn't say, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. This movie, this James Wan movie cost $1.5 million to make chump change. And it made almost $100 million. It mm-hmm. made, I mean, that is astronomically successful mm-hmm. that single that and paranormal activity mm-hmm. made Blumhouse. you know what i mean yeah uh, i understand why they would be like wow how do we capture mm-hmm. what insidious just did well we have the property of poltergeist let's go for it so mm-hmm. from a business standpoint i get it totally you know it is a business it is the film business that being said don't fuck over your fans like this mm-hmm. and like i i I hate that I said that because I can't stand people that say that shit, you know, like, oh, this movie ruined my childhood. This movie didn't ruin my childhood. It just annoys the shit out of me that it exists. Yeah, it's just ruined the, it ruined the 90 minutes or so that I had to watch it. Oh, no, totally. And it's just like, I just don't get it, you know? And it's like, I hope, you know, we're probably going to have to do like an add on to this eventually because I was just reading that uh, another remake has been greenlit. By the uh, Russo brothers? Did you read the, the same Russo thing? <laughs> the guys at the Avengers. So, I mean, you know, here's hoping, fingers crossed. But, I mean, it, it's just, that's what bothers me is, like, I love franchises so much. I mean, that was one of the things that really made me want to do this, you know, when when Mike uh, was like, hey, let's do this. Uh, but... I do like franchises that are either all good or fluctuates, you know, like I don't mind a couple bad eggs in a franchise cause it's going to happen. But mm. when a franchise I think consistently gets worse with each film, it bothers me. Cause you know, like the first, first poltergeist amazing. Second one, it's just as amazing. I mean, it's fucking great. Third one. Eh. And then this one's just like, wow. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> there we go. Like, yeah. 
it, it just bothers me so much. Yeah. I would say like you could be you could be forgiven if you forget this movie exists. Because this is movie does not no, make that- me like Book of Shadows makes me angry as someone that loves the original Blair Witch Project. Um I what was the movie that one of our listeners took me to task on for being so negative about? I want to say it was Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah. And he was like, I like you guys better yeah. when you find things to like about a movie. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm not going to sit here and lie about how I feel about a movie. And it, this isn't the everybody gets a trophy participation podcast. It's like, here's how yeah. I feel about it. And this movie doesn't bother me so much. I mean, it's competently made. It's not ugly. The performances are, you know, their performances. Um, but it's just like you kind of like you you finish it, you move on with your day and you kind of forget that you watched it. Seriously, that you say that is so funny because that's exactly how I feel about it. I've seen this movie twice. I saw it a few years ago, and when I went to watch it again now, I was like, I remember absolutely nothing about this Mm -hmm. movie. I watched this movie, what, four days ago, and I remember one line from the whole movie. I don't remember anything about it. It is Mm -hmm. utterly forgettable. That's my biggest issue with it. It's not for me that it's bad. It's that it's just completely forgettable. It's unnecessary. Yeah. And, I, you know, I do think that there are some things about this movie that I do like, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it will never get that Goldsmith score again, but the score by Mark Streitenfeld, I actually like. And he's, uh-huh. he's, he's actually one of my favorite composers. You know, he did, uh, he did The Grey. He did Prometheus, which I love that score. Mm-hmm. You know, he... He's done some really good, uh, you know, musical cues throughout the years, and I, I like what he did. I mean, it, it kind of, kind of lifts off of the original a little, but it kind of mm-hmm. does its own thing. Which, you know, that's that's what we were saying earlier. Like, this movie could have done its own thing without relying on the original. I, I, me personally, I love when remakes. I'm not anti remake. If a mm-hmm. remake takes kind of the magic of the original, but does its compl- like does its own thing. Like I said, Evil Dead. Uh, I love the Suspiria remake so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm I think I'm one of the five people that liked Black Christmas. You know? Yeah. I like it. I like it when remakes do their own thing because like that's what should be done. You know, people are so pissed that that, you know, they just announced another adaption of the thing. But like that doesn't bother me at all. You know what I mean? Like if you want to do your own thing with the movie, I'll be there opening night. Right. But, but but not having the confidence or even the will to do your own thing. That is what puts me off. I mean, like I said, like I said earlier, uh, they don't want to be, they don't want their characters to be the freelings, but they're kind of aping off the rest of the movie. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, Like, it's just like, go for it, you know, go all in. Don't like half ass something. And that's what, Ultimately, that's how I feel about this movie. It's a very half-assed effort. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's a moment that I think kind of sums up the soul of this movie pretty well. Like You can disagree with me. You can be like, yeah, you're full of shit, Mike, whatever. Um, at the end of the movie, when the Bowen family gets in the car to leave, and they notice that, like, 
everything is going like tits up at that point, basically. They drive off and they leave Jared Harris and Jane Adams. Like they leave yeah. the paranormal hunters in the lurch. These people that have come to their home to help them for no other reason except to help them out. The like, you know, Sam Rockwell's character of Eric Bowen is like, we're out of here. And they just go flying down the road at that point and they leave these other people to their own devices at that point. Mm-hmm. Or I think with the what is night in the original movie. The paranormal, um, the, you know, the paranormal investigators, they leave They're like, OK, the house is clean. We're good to go. See you. And then things start to go crazy after the fact. Here you see this like selfishness. You see this like I've got mine or I only care about me and nobody else. Um, and you now you, you're left with Jared Harris's character, uh, Kerrigan Burke, the um, this house is clean, paranormal TV star like basically sacrificing himself at the end of the movie for no other reason um, except, to, you know, why not? You know, maybe that leaves it open for like a sequel plot point. Like it shows it shows like such like a, a prickishness to those characters, like the yeah. Bowens. It's like, oh, this guy came and helped us. But you know what, Kerrigan, have fun in the vortex. Yeah. We got the end credits thing where like it shows that Kerrigan lived and is now like doing another like reality show. But oh, like really? it's just. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not yeah. make it that far. OK. Yeah, so, like, I, I like to think in my own head that if we ever got a sequel, it would be Kerrigan just, like, like home invasion for the Bowens and just, like, you know, like, payback for them ditching him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it shows how like, just throat the Bowens are in this movie, whereas I feel like the Freelings, they would have made sure that the other people were safe because those are the people that helped them. And, and it is about the bonds. You know, people could talk about Poltergeist scares. You know, they could talk about uh, the effects. They could talk about Goldsmith's score. Uh, they could talk about uh, Toby Cooper doing a good job directing it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, ultimately that movie is about relationships. And so is this one. So is this one. It's just about shitty relationships. These people are not good people. So as a viewer, it's hard It's hard to kind of live vicariously through these characters and go through that journey because, like, halfway through the movie you're like i don't like these people and i kind of hope they die you know <laughs> like, like i would have loved like it fuck if you maddie if, yeah, <laughs> if, you know if midway through the movie if like griffin's character was ripped in two by that tree like he was a chicken wing oh man i would have given this a four star review (laughs) veronica i'd be interested in your take on this on on this aspect of the movie there's a a bedroom scene between eric and amy early in the movie um no 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 look look we're not going where you think i'm I'm going right now where uh you know the weed smoking of the freelings is replaced by you know a real honest conversation about the state of their finances and the mother amy is saying like look i can go back to work And the dad's response is your job is to be a mom, basically like that real kind of pride, that real sense of like, I'm the man, I'm going to be the breadwinner. Um, You know, even though this guy works in American manufacturing and his job has been outsourced to China. um, So unless he's going to move his family overseas, he's probably not getting a job anytime soon. Um, Any thoughts on that? Anything that kind of jumps to mind? Like I would be interested, like in terms of, 
I think you had said before, like, hey, there have been times where, you know, I've had to be the provider overall, you know, so I'm kind of interested in your take on when you see a scene like that play out, if it just gives you kind of like deuce chills overall. No, I agree with him. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm kidding. Um, but what I think is like, it, it, so currently, like my husband's in college and I'm the, I'm working and it's been this way for uh, about two years now. Mm. And, um, but previously I was in college and he was working. So it's just kind of a back and forth. It, that weird male pride of, well, you're a mom, like you can be a mom and also have a job. Did you know that Sam Rockwell? Like, (laughs) well, I don't mean to throw that on Sam Rockwell. I'm sure he has different ideas than Mr. Bowen, but Mr. Eric Bowen. But, um, yeah, I, it doesn't, when it's in a good movie, it kind of irks me when it's in a movie like this, it's like, oh, they didn't really have any other anything else to say so I mean they're not going to give her a job that would that would expand her character a little bit too mm-hmm. much for this so eh, it was throw away for me well okay. the thing is like I'm 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 not a mom you know but like that that scene kind of irritated me mm-hmm. you know a lot <laughs> because like what what that scene makes me feel like think about is my wife and my wife works at a museum is a full-time student going for like art therapy uh, mm-hmm. a painter and a mom because we have a shitload of kids like you know what i mean like like i i hate that and maybe that's why i've gotten so much hate in the last few months for like standing up for like movies like black christmas and birds of prey yeah like everyone's <laughs> like oh here's woke male not really mm-hmm. i'm just a fucking human being but like mm-hmm. like this like stuff like that scene in this movie it irritates the hell out of me because to be completely honest and if we have any misogynist listeners, they'll probably hate me more. But hey, fuck you, this is your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> hey, I most of people that are like me because it's like we're we're shitty, you know. Like 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 women are so much. I'm not not better than us, but like, dude, anything I could do, no, my wife could do like, my wife could do like ten times better. And that's just that's just reality. You know what I mean? Like I mm-hmm. I hate that like we had such a good character. Uh, Joe Beth Williams character yes. and mm-hmm. got so good. I mean, I, I I would say that her character's just as good as Craig Jean Nelson's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and the just, thing about her character too is she didn't go through this um, period of growth, right? Because she already started with her own personality. She didn't need the growth in the first movie, whereas she was just a complete person, not you know as. Eric Bowen would put it just a mom, like you're a mom. Like she, she was, she was a mom and she also, you know, was spiritual and open and um, just open-minded. And it's just, it's so crazy to me that um, Rosemary DeWitt just got none of that. And it's so unfortunate because like you've said before, she's just had some really killer roles and she's a really killer actress. And, yeah I, I maybe it's like a weird like thing that i do but sometimes there's certain actors that early roles will never like like leave my head so watching poltergeist and seeing uh sam rockwell be kind of like a dick to his wife like i couldn't help but think listen motherfucker you started out working for shredder like, <laughs> <laughs> like you have <laughs> worked for the fucking foot clan buddy well, I, you know, I find it like very, it, it sums up the spirit of this movie that, you know, we talked a little bit before. Oh, God, I just lost track of thought again. That's how interested I am in this movie. So mm-hmm. bear with me here for one sec. I, I did find it like really 
interesting that when you have a family that's down on its luck and really hurting financially that, you know, I would rather lose my home and be, you know, live off of the streets than see my wife work is really like a weird ethos. I think to have mm-hmm. at that point, mm-hmm. it yeah. just strikes me as like super bizarre. There, yeah. And like it's 2020 and you know, <laughs> despite having, despite having, see, I don't want to get too political, but, but despite having certain leaders in our mm-hmm. world that kind of, uh, kind of set us back on the evolutionary scale uh, every <laughs> day of this administration. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, we are also at least on the flip side to that. The flip side to that is we, we do live in a time where, I mean, those fucking, like, the kind of patriarch dynamics, I think, should be eradicated. You know, it is 2020. If a woman wants to be the breadwinner, let her. That's her fucking mm-hmm. prerogative. You know, like this idea, like you said, that, oh, you know, that his character would rather be homeless than have his wife work. Like, maybe she's maybe she's fucking more talented than him at working, you know? Why, or maybe why? she's really bad at it and he's trying to save face for her. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I do have, so I have. Written you know, up I have, way too much. <laughs> I have friends who, who choose to stay home and it's because, um, whether they're male or female, it's because their partner, um, you know, makes enough money to be able to have them stay home with the kids, or it wouldn't make sense for them to go off and work because of daycare costs, or, you know, the, the other, the significant other can actually make a little bit more when they work overtime than anything part-time this person could, could do. So it doesn't matter what somebody does. Whereas, like I said, with this movie, it was so throwaway to me, but I totally get how it could get under somebody's skin too, because it, Mm -hmm. it it does. Cause just do whatever the fuck you want like mm-hmm. bring money in so your family can eat who cares right. who's doing it right. well <laughs> the other thing too is all the kids are school age so it's not like you know what does she do between the hours of seven and three when they're at school like who is she watching you know i mean it's 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 to me it's bizarre that like you can't have both in 2000 and i mean why don't they make a compromise why don't either of them work and send those fucking kids to get a paper out <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Why don't they, you know what they could do is they could rent out Griffin as a human punching bag. And you could have, you could have like agro therapy where you're like, because I usually like when I, when I counsel children that are really angry, one of the things we do is we teach them like, don't punch a wall. The wall will win. Like you punch a pillow, you punch a couch, you know, punch, punch Griffin. Like get those really angry like tween kids and you like... You like bind, you like put Griffin in these cement shoes and you bind his arms and his sides and you just let kids like tee off on that fucking. <laughs> There's a lot of thought that's gone behind right? this Griffin, yeah. Mike. It's. I, you know what this, this reminds me of? I, I have a friend. I have a friend that out of nowhere was just like, Jerry, I want to tell you something. Like, okay, what's up? Like, I thought he was going to tell me, like, you know, he had like a, uh, like, disease or something. And uh, now he was just like, I cannot watch any more movies with Miko Hughes. You know, the kid from Pet Cemetery. Oh, yeah. yeah. Why? Why? He goes, I, he's like, I don't know. It's it's nothing personal. I don't know the guy, but every time I see this kid on screen, I want to fucking kick him. I'm like, Jesus. That's what your anger towards this kid reminds me of. <laughs> like, if, if you know, I'm, we're really fortunate in that, you know, my daughter 
looks just like my wife did at that age. Like she's lovely. She's smart. She's charming. I got to tell you, if my kid turned out to look anything like Griffin Bowen does, I would have put him up for adoption at age 12. Yeah. I'm not saying it's rational. I'm not saying that it's right. I'm not saying that it makes me a good person. Um, No, we all have kids who we just find disgusting. So I I get you. My my daughter, my daughter looks exactly like me, uh, but with like longer hair. And sometimes I look at her and I'm just like, God, I just want to like just slap the shit out of you. (laughs) Start thinking like, is that what my parents thought? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So I don't know. Listeners, I'm joking, listeners. Do we? Yeah. I mean, like I, you know, I'll share a little bit of my work. Like I, you know, work as a school counselor and, you know, there can be some of these really emotionally charged moments when you do that. And the other day I had this young lady in my room and she was really upset. So we're practicing our breathing. I'm giving her some tips on like, how do we go back to class and just focus on the work? And I see my curtain start moving and it's just like sixth grader that I work with a lot. And he was hiding behind the curtain in my room unbeknownst to me. Um, (laughs) Just being a goof as I'm doing this and like, it was the closest I've ever come to wanting to put someone through a wall in my job. Um, you know, I had to march him down to the principal and be like, this is just unacceptable. And if it happens again, I'm pushing to have him suspended. Like, but I was so oh. mad and I had yeah. to do my own like deep breathing. Cause you have to let it go. And, you know, I saw him the next day and had a chat with him about why that was wrong. And it was fine. And, you know, you're not going to get too upset. But in that moment, you're like, oh, man. I mean, he was my own personal Griffin Bowen. What do you find yourself right now? That kid was like hiding in the corner of your house. <laughs> what was that? Oh, man. Like, if he was behind me, like if he's like in my closet, like right now, um, then I he's- would probably, I would, that would props if, if he found out where I lived and then like. <laughs> I would be like props to that, you know. That I would appreciate, but like it becomes it becomes this big like like the setup that he's been working on for like years, unbeknownst to you. Like he's trying to like assimilate your life. (laughs) He becomes like the outsider in that new Stephen King show. Personal outsider. He gets me convicted of just be convicted of these, you know, horrific murders. Like that would be, you know, at that point, you got to give it up at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. So do we have more to say about this movie? I feel like we're drifting no. off topic. I feel like we're drifting off topic on purpose at this point. There's nothing. I mean, what else is there to pull out? I, there's no, there's nothing that's, there's nothing that's them- thematically relevant. There's nothing that's over the top scary. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing that there's, it's just such a nothing movie. It's just nothing. So, I mean, I, I do think uh, one good silver lining oh. in the fact that we're talking about, not in the movie itself, but oh. in the fact that we're talking about Poltergeist 2015 and it being a movie that really hates women kind of working, <laughs> uh, I am going to follow that up uh, after this is over by going to watch Birds of Prey again. So. There you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I have not been able to make my way to the theaters. Like, there's a few things. I wanted to see Gretel and Hansel. I want to see Birds That's of great. Prey. Yeah. Um, I'm actually morbidly curious about the Sonic the Hedgehog movie because it's getting yeah, 
So. It's getting good reviews. People are like, liking it. Shockingly. Um, what I are have there, been, like, I, I do have to ask though: Are there any movies that you're kind of almost embarrassed that you do want to watch? Always, because like <laughs> since the first time I saw this trailer, because we we go to the movies a lot, so mm-hmm. we we get to the same goddamn trailers over and over. Right, since yeah. the first time. I saw there's one movie that my wife just like i'm not gonna watch that i have no idea why you want to watch that and it's my biggest obsession to watch and that is that is the photograph (laughs) the what the photograph the photograph right oh okay i might yeah no mike and brian like watch that trailer I mean, look, Keith Stanfield is in it. Like, it can't be bad. It looks all right. Like, (laughs) I know. That is one I'm definitely going to have to watch alone, probably. So there are a few things that are out right now that are definitely worth people's time. Um, If there's a movie that I'm going to watch more than After Midnight this year, I'll be fucking stunned. Can't wait. Oh, so good. Where can I, I watch that, Mike? So, so yeah, I'm curious yeah. too. Amazon, Vudu, iTunes. You can buy it okay. now. And I'm not sure if you can rent it, but I know you can buy it for like 15 bucks. And it's definitely Great. worth it. It's definitely I will buy that. Penny. I got to introduce it at Telluride Horror, and it reduced me to like a puddle by the end. I mean, I absolutely love that movie. Oh. I saw it last year under its original title, and I didn't know that it was acquired and the title was changed. Mm-hmm. So I heard all these people talking about this new movie, you know, this Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella movie. Yes. And plot, And I was just like, wait, didn't I see that last year under a different <laughs> name? Yeah. But it is. Mike is 100 percent right. That movie is so good. Mm-hmm. And there's also like VFW. BFW is yeah, I've heard as well. Yeah. Great things about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Movies that just came out that like people should check out. Mm-hmm. Um, Ant Timpson's first direct is it Ant Timpson's first movie directing? Or I, I know he's produced a lot of films. Um, but Come to Daddy, starring I'm, Elijah Wood, oh, which also, is supposed to be yes, bizarre. I would strongly urge every one of our listeners to go support Come to Daddy. For a yes. reason. Not only because Ant is awesome and Elijah Wood's haircut. Go mm-hmm. watch Come to Daddy because our favorite dickhead hated it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know, yeah, there was, the hell was there was a review. Not just hated it, but like personally attacked it. Like it... it, uh, it, it uh, unreal. So yes, go see it. Timson is what he did. Yeah, yeah. The review of that movie focused less on what was in the movie. Like five paragraphs of the review were dedicated solely to like who, how it was financed, and yeah. the fact that it had like a lot of international financing. It was really bizarre, and <laughs> you know, it was just it was not a great it was not a great review, and it wasn't. I wasn't offended reading that review, but it just seemed like there were some out of left field attacks in the movie that seemed less about the movie and more about being maybe, maybe a little bit out of touch, I guess would be to put it kindly at that point without, um, calling down a shitstorm, you know, on my head again, there's another movie that's on video on demand this week too. That's another, like fucked up romantic horror movie and it's like sacred something i can't think of the name of it i wanted to mention it here as something to look out for and god damn it it's bothering me that i cannot remember the name of it at this point but between 
VFW come to daddy and after midnight, you have three phenomenal, like we spent an hour talking about a movie that we felt was pretty soulless and really the byproduct of like, what do the studios think people want? You know, Mm kind of like assembly line auteurism at that point where between after midnight, come to daddy and VFW as well as bliss, Mm -hmm. which is on shutter. Uh, so you get, you know, doubled your Vegas at that point. Um, you have, uh, uh, Guns Akimbo comes next week too. Oh, oh yeah. excellent! Good. Oh, I, yeah. oh my god, I love yeah. that movie so much. I'm I'm actually I'm interviewing Daniel Radcliffe for it this Friday, and That's like cool. I'm being I'm fucking so ecstatic about that. But Guns Akimbo is it's one of the funnest. Oh my god, it is like an action movie for genre fans, mm-hmm. and it, it's just so just it's like pure just insanity. I would love to hear him talk about. I hope you ask this. Um, and you can tell me to fuck off if you want. I would love to be like, no, get your own interview with Daniel Radcliffe. I would love to hear him discuss like, you know, what goes into his decision making post Harry Potter. Because I think you know, we just, we've talked before about this and Robert Pattinson, like the choices they're mm-hmm. making are these really intriguing. And a lot of them are genre choices. You have uh, Radcliffe who's done woman in black in jungle and Swiss army man. And now guns akimbo. They're making these, you know, he, he Elijah Wood and Robert Pattinson Perfect. coming off their big movies yes. are so steeped in genre. I would love to know what goes into his decision making when it comes to taking on projects. Cause that's, what a, that's so cool. That's so a, cool that, that you say that because that's actually the first thing that I was going to ask him. Perfect. Cause like I'm right there with you, right there with you. Radcliffe oh, and man. like so, both of those guys, like oh, it's great choices. So yeah. listeners, so any final words before we sign off for the week here? My underwear is happy. Excellent. <laughs> All right, your underwear. Really That's the only line I remember from that movie. Just that, is the, that, is, line? Yeah. Yeah. that is the that is the only moment worthwhile in the entire film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There we go. So we're going to be starting a new franchise next week. We're putting Poltergeist to bed, uh, and we're going to be coming back with Critters, which I have never seen a single minute of a Critters movie. So oh. it's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, I watched the first one for the first time uh, last week, I think, and it was the first I'd ever seen of any of them. So it was. Oh, I, I'm so oh. for this series. I, I love those movies with a passion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, listeners, thank you so much for bearing with us here. You know, I think we. I think we had a very honest discussion about the merits or lack thereof of this movie. You know, if you're someone that really stands the Poltergeist remake, I am sorry. Um, you know, like, it's, it's not personal. Trust me. Um, like Jerry has said before, like every movie is somebody's favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are mental health services available that are out there <laughs> for those that, um, for those, and I feel like, again, I just like, I feel so bad for the kid that, you know, about what I'm saying with the kid who plays Griffin. It's not about that person. It's not about that. It's just this character in particular. Really? Yes, update. What if I had an update? Uh, so-and-so quit acting on this day. Did he? Oh, no. oh wow. <laughs> it's just Following like, this podcast, he quit acting. Little Kyle. I mean, like, just like, he just looks like he's just pinched a loaf the whole, he's like holding back a turtle head the whole movie, you know, and that's just, I can't get behind that. All right. We are out of here on that note. God.
<laughs> on that note, we are out of here. Have a great week, everybody. All right. Good. Hi, I'm Kelly. You'll find me heading up the social media while drinking a can of beer. And I'm Jess. I'm the witchy spister who can be found behind the scenes crafting. And we are the spinsters of horror. We have a monthly horror podcast called I Spit on Your Podcast. Which is semi-academic with a dash of feminism, and we aren't afraid to tackle tough subject matter or just have a little fun. You can find us on our website at www.spinstersofhorror.com. Follow us on Twitter at Horror Spinsters. You can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. And remember, the future of fear is female. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Pod and the Pendulum podcast. A little bit of bonus content for everyone right now. Um, To celebrate Women in Horror Month, we want to continue to bring a spotlight to a lot of the young women that are creating in the genre right now. And we have a quick little uh, interview with uh, a young adult author, Ivana Sanders, who has a book coming out this fall, The Beckwith Brothers. It's a young adult suspense thriller. Um, The tagline is, in the atmosphere where conspiracies run rampant, Downers Grove cannot anticipate the fallout when myths, the legends, the fully grown boys finally come home. Ms. Sanders, welcome on. How are we doing this morning? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Mr. Mike? Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's our pleasure. So, Ivana, tell me a little bit about, you know, when did you first start getting into, like, you know, what you're growing up into, like, horror or suspense films? Like, when did you start to kind of explore the genre? Oh, they've always been my absolute favorite. I I don't know. They just they just appeal to me. I like being kept on, my, on the edge of my seat. Um, mm-hmm. And I like how, you know, some some themes of thrillers or, or horror movies, so they tie into whatever's going on in society. Like um, they make they, they capture what's going on in society and they twist that into something that's, you know, entertaining, and even more horrifying. And it makes your mind wonder. And mm-hmm. it's very intriguing to me. And um, ever since I was young, you know, I, I've liked, you know, things that kept me you know, a little on the edge of my seat. My favorite movie is even The Silence of the Lamb. So I I love that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you would say your taste kind of veer towards like that psychological thriller kind of true crime or true crime inspired type of horror. Yes, my book is even inspired partially by true crime, kind of tied in with the Menendez brothers' story. Mm-hmm. The true crime of that. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, for those that don't maybe remember the Menendez brothers, maybe Mm -hmm. those that didn't grow up with like court TV, I think in the 90s it was at this point. Um, Tell us a little bit about how their story ties into your book. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, they were um, they were young, young adult boys and they were rumored to have killed their parents. Right. Well, we we know they did. But um, it became this kind of nationwide sensation and they became, you know, there were myths about them. There were legend. They were kind of ended up being kind of legendary a little bit Mm -hmm. in a bad way, of course, in a bad way. Um, But also they became this 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 draw um, by the media and also by um, even young girls who unfortunately kind of found them attractive despite what they had mm-hmm. done, almost an almost infatuation type. And so a lot of that happened surrounding the Beckwith brothers in my story. Mm-hmm. 
Because they are rumored to have killed their parents when they were uh, when they were younger, before their parents and them all went missing in the woods one day um, in old uh, 70s Downers Grove. That's the story. This little small town, NorCal, Northern California small town in my story. Mm-hmm. They and their family go missing and they never come back. But there were mm-hmm. always rumors about these brothers before that happened. And so they, the rumor spreads around town that they are the legends who killed their parents. But people think they see sightings of them older in the forest and there's stories of them having supernatural powers and things like that. So they become this legendary force, but they really are alive in the woods. Mm-hmm. Their parents are not. You know, that, that's a little twist. Their parents are not alive. Um, but when they come back, the town... I'm interested in, like, what's, you know, obviously with young adult books, like the supernatural and thrillers tend to be what, like, young adults are kind of gravitating towards. And even young adult might have even, might even be a misnomer at this point because more and more kind of, like, full-age adults are are reading these books and devouring these books on the market right now. But I'm kind of mm-hmm. wondering what... You know, what were the writers you kind of gravitated towards growing up that made you kind of lean in this direction for your first novel? Uh, I just forgot her name, but the, the author of uh, Stephanie. I, no, that's not the right name. Uh, the author of um, the author of the Pretty Little Liars series. Mm-hmm. I got into the books long before the TV show started. I actually like the books a lot more than the TV show. The TV show gravitated way too much to the stuff that wasn't even in the books and unnecessary mm-hmm. storylines. Um, so that was something that really got me into, I just, I loved how each chapter I was questioning everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. And it was just so much suspense and mystery and intrigue. And that, that really stood out to me as one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I've read a lot of different kinds of books, but I just, I automatically gravitate towards thrillers. I like reading books by, um, book, book chore, um, because they have a lot of women's thrillers mm-hmm. and, um, uh, also now I compare the book to, you know, the Lost Boys movie and also, um, there's someone inside your house by, um, forgetting everybody's names. <laughs> there's someone inside of your house by, um, uh, Stephanie Perkins. And also mm-hmm. I would say the, the shadow and bone the Darkling prequel by Leigh uh, Barto is mm-hmm. a new recent one that I could definitely compare the back with the Beckwith brothers too. Okay, excellent. And why do you think kids, you know, or or teens, kind of gravitate so hard toward hard towards these books? Like when you were putting your story together, you, what made you say like this is what some of the kids are going to like want to devour? I think that thrillers just they draw you they pull you in they just mm-hmm. do like they just have that natural ability and i think that anything that pulls you in is to me more intriguing and more likely for me to be interested in than you know just maybe a contemporary story just about you know some person somewhere okay <laughs> i need to see some person somewhere realizing that you know, not all is what it seems and how scary that might be. Mm-hmm. And and to leave to leave me to um, be scared for them, excited for their victories, uh, sad for their defeats. Um, and I want to follow them through you know, mysterious and heart pounding situations. Um, and I think that also thrillers. I like I like reading about villains. 
mm-hmm. do like reading about villains and anti-heroes a lot. Um, they're actually some of my favorite characters because they are, they're not good characters, but there's a lot of depth to dealing with villains and dealing mm-hmm. with dealing with situations that are just horrible in stories or that are suspenseful or mysterious or uh, criminal or something like that. And um, I think that dealing with those sort of things brings out the true, the true personality of all of the characters. Eventually you see their little, you see them shed their, their masks basically mm-hmm. in the face of fear, in the face of, um, in the face of temptation, you know, some of these people are drawn by greed or power hungriness. Um, like in the Beckwith brothers, you know, there is a character in this story. She's a multimillionaire who lives in Downers Grove. She's considered a public figure in, in the small town. She herself is driven by greed and a power hungriness. Um, secret societies who that are uh, live underground uh, in the story of the Beckwith brothers um, who emerge, who actually worship the Beckwith brothers and the legends, mm-hmm. the legends that they are, they actually have almost a, a cult following that mm-hmm. no one, no one knew about until, until strange happenings start beginning in 1995 when people start realizing, Hey, maybe these brothers, maybe these rumors aren't so fake. Maybe mm-hmm. these brothers are still alive. Um, and then, uh, you know, the cult following starts coming out. And all of this adds so much dynamic to narratives, I think. And mm-hmm. I think you just, I think that thrillers and horrors and suspense and mysteries, they, they're, the only, they're the only genres that have that peel. They have that draw. I think that's what makes them special to everybody. Excellent. Well, Ivanya, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, we're you know excited to help you promote this book. And speaking of which, when can readers get their hands on the Beckwith Brothers? Um, so the Beckwith Brothers is going to be released um, fall 2020 in uh, October. Um, and so um, I'm doing a pre-launch right now. I'm doing mm-hmm. I'm doing I'm doing a publicity tour and pre-launch. And so there's going to be a bookstagram tour very soon. Mm-hmm. A exclusive cover reveal is coming um, with a very popular bookstagrammer. Um, the book trailer I've already released it. Well, a book trailer I'm working on even more. I'm a book trailer creator. I'm a freelance mm-hmm. book trailer creator. So I create book trailers. Okay. And so I created. My I never own. knew that was even really a thing, except for like really huge books. Yes, it's a thing, especially for especially especially for indie authors, because like myself, I'm an indie author. I'm independent. Um, it's very popular right now because I think that when you add visuals to your marketing abilities, mm-hmm. you add this extra pop and this extra flair, and mm-hmm. it even works better to get you more views and things like that. And so you can really set an atmosphere for your story in a book trailer better than you can with a cover reveal, really a book review even. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's 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 a it's a very good um, it's very good method to getting views and interest, peaking interest. And so I make book trailers. For authors, and I made mm-hmm. my own, <laughs> and Excellent. I made my own. Yes, and and um, so I'm also working on a uh, book to a book uh, a book review tour when the arcs mm-hmm. are released. The um pre of uh, the um the uh the 
pre, good gracious, pre-order. The pre-order links are coming in March. Mm -hmm. Um, There's three chapter excerpts posted on um, Wattpad right now. Mm -hmm. And and I have magazine features in YA Book Central um, and Wisteria magazine, publishing magazine coming up as well. And also um, on what, Quiet YA Reads. Excellent. And more, and more to come. Excellent. Well, thank you again for joining us. And let us know when the book comes out so we can get our listeners know. And I think we're having some connection problems there. Or, oh, there we go. It's not like we were in a helicopter there for a second. But, okay. Vanya, thanks so much for joining us today. Have a great thanks. have a great weekend. And my Twitter is at the novelette. Excellent. At the novelette. All right. Thank you very much.